Okay, it's okay. I haven't actually started the sermon yet, so that's all right. Okay. So right now, everyone's at home just see this man walking around doing this. Okay, anyway, anyway, sorry. Okay, back to it, back to it. Okay, but it's, but we, it's our need for him. We need, we need him to, our need for him to change us, our, our need for him to move us, our, our need for him to work in us, our need for him because we are limited in our knowledge, we are limited in our perspective, we are limited in how we interpret the things that take place around us. And because we are limited, we need him to directly intervene in our lives to open our eyes, to open our ears, and to soften our hearts. And this is a point of praise. Praise God, for it is His grace that has accepted us. It is His mercy that has liberated us, and it is His Spirit that enlightens us. And so today, as we carry on looking at what we are to know, Knowing God's timetable, knowing the Lord's sovereignty. And today I want to look at this, knowing his authority. Knowing his authority and what that means and what it looks like for us. So let's pray. And then if you get your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to start off there, okay? So let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the testimony of our brother and sister, Eugene and Milan, and for your gracious hand upon them. Thank you for delivering them from physical pain, but also just glorifying you and their testimonies today. Thank you for bringing us to yourself in Jesus Christ. And as we look at your word today, we place ourselves in this position of need, this need for you to open our eyes, this need for you to change our hearts this need for you to convict us and challenge us, this need for you, Lord, just for you. So I pray this morning as we look at your scriptures, your spirit will teach us, your spirit will mold us, your spirit will transform us. Please teach us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now we all have an understanding of what authority is. It's one of those things where it's like, it's hard to define, but you know it when you see it. Good stuff, Jeremy. Good stuff, Jeremy. It's hard to define, but you know it when you see it. Authority is translated in the Bible as the word power in some cases. And it's the power to influence. It is an an influence or It's an assignment over another based on someone else. It is holding a legitimate right to exercise a choice over another on the merit, on the power, on the influence of one greater than you. Uh, In the Bible, one of the definitions it gives, gives, it's called a delegated influence. Everyone say delegated influence. Okay, so we understand this idea of authority, and we recognize that all authority around us from the governments has been instituted by God. Romans chapter 13 verse 1 actually specifically says that, that all governmental authorities have been set in place and instituted by God. And we recognize that authority by the way we respond to it or by the way we don't respond to it. But when I'm looking at what authority is, the questions that keep coming back to me is, 
what does living a life in knowing the authority of the Lord look like? What does that look like? In living a life acknowledging the authority of the Lord. How does knowing the authority the Lord has apply to the every man or the every woman of the 21st century? What does that authority look like? And, and one of the things I think, I'm the type of learner, I don't know what you're like as a learner, I'm the type of learner that has to see and then do. That's me. You might be the learner, I ask this at the school I work at all the time, how do you best learn? Some kids can just read and they get it. Other kids can just hear and they just get it. You know, I'm not like that. I, I need to see and do. And that's why I wanted to look at Exodus chapter 3 to begin with. Because in Exodus chapter 3, we have this delegated influence given to Moses as he is called, as he is appointed, and as he is sent by the Lord God of hosts. So we're not actually going to read it. This is just, I want us to look at this and look at various points, okay? So in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4, we have this context where there is this burning bush and Moses, who is in the, the backside of the wilderness, he's in Midian, he's working for his father-in-law Jethro, he's caring for sheep, and while he walks, while he walks, while he's working, while he's chasing sheep, he sees a bush and it catches his eye. And it draws him to this bush. It draws him to, to find out. And, and, and in this encounter, he meets with the living God. In this revelation, God takes him and says, I want you. I've heard the cries of my people. I have seen the oppression that they suffer under the hand of Egypt. And I will deliver my people and bring them to a good and better land. Therefore, I am going to send you. God chooses this man. What does this man do? What does this man do? And you, you read through it. He, he, he comes up with all these excuses as to why I'm not the right guy. I'm not the right guy. He, he wants to get out of this call that God continually reassures him. He says, no, you are the man I want to use. You are the man I am taking to be my vessel to work through. And so what does Moses do? He sits there and he goes, well, well, who am I? Who am I to do something like this? Who am I to go to Pharaoh and question him? And what does God say? He says to him, I will be with you in verses 11 and 12. He says, the people of Israel, well, they, they won't believe me. They're not going to believe me that I'm here for this reason. And what does God say? He says, you tell them. I am sent you. You tell them that. They'll know who it is. He sits there and he says, but, but then, okay, well, what if they refuse to believe? He goes, then I will give you signs. I'll give you signs to confirm that you are the man that I have appointed. You are the man that I have picked. But, but what if, well, but then he goes, okay, well, what if, uh, what, I, can't, I can't speak well. I can't speak good. I'm not a good talker. All right. What does God say? He says, I will give you the words. Eventually, he just comes up with this one big thing, which is usually our big thing. You can just send someone else. 
with all the other excuses you come up with. And that's what we do, don't we? We, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm not a leader. I can't lead in a Bible study. Lord, I can't go to prayer meeting and pray out loud. Lord, I can't tell this person about Jesus and his love for you. Lord, I can't, I can't do this. And all the time, God assures us, just like he has with Moses, and then we reach our conclusion, Lord, could you just send someone else? Could you just send, send, send Joe Leaf in this? Come on, Lord, send her. Send Kenny. Send Jeremy. You know, like that's what we do. We come up with something else. And God continually sits and he says, all right, I'll tell you what. You're going to go, but I'll send your brother with you. Your brother will go. He's the one that will speak. He was the one that will speak for you. What's really fascinating is that when you look at the plagues, the 10 plagues, this is a really cool line. And I think it's when, so you have, who remembers the first plague? What's the first plague? Tell me. Pardon? No, it's not the frogs. It's not the frogs. That's the second. What's the first one? Blood. Yeah. Noel turns to blood. What's the second one, Jenna? Frogs. Now, I know that's what you were thinking about. Who knows the third one? Hey, well done. All right, Bible scholars as well as AV people. Those kids are doing well. But when they get to the third one, what's really fascinating is that up to that point, the and, and, and what's the fourth one then, Jeremy? Oh, you're looking at your Bible. Good boy. Good boy, good boy. What's fascinating is this, is that up to that point, and it's actually, I think it's either the gnats or the flies, I can't remember off the top of my head, but the, the wizards and the magic men of, of Pharaoh could copy, could copy the miracles that they were doing. And then they get to the flies. Yeah, they get to the flies. And then they can't. They're like, this is the hand of God. And what God says to Moses, he actually says to Moses this, he goes, I have made in the eyes of Pharaoh... You, I've made you God, and Aaron is your prophet. That's how it was set out. Then what happens, after the, they couldn't copy the, the, uh, the, the miracles anymore, the plagues anymore, then Pharaoh would directly talk with Moses because he now understood that he was not dealing with Moses, but with the God of Moses. Why? Because Moses was sent on the authority of God the delegated influence that God gave him to go and represent him in the deliverance of his people. If you look at chapter 4, verse 21, the Lord says to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. You know what another word for power is? I have given you the authority to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. You see, from Moses' own deficits to his acceptance, to his message, to his company, God imbues him with a divine authority that is supported, empowered, and executed by God himself. That he takes one so ineloquent, this one who is so full of excuses, this one who is so weak, this one who has murdered a man, and God says, you are the man that I want to use on my authority to get the job done. That is huge. It was God's message, not his. It was God's miracles, 
not his. It was God's words, not his. It was God's deliverance that is going to save and did save Israel to something greater in the promised land. Deliver them from bondage. That's amazing that God could do something such as that. And I want you to think about this that we just looked at. Now in your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Now, you see these similarities. We have a God who is, as we are told in the Scriptures, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he does here in Moses' life, he also does here through the Lord Jesus for the lives of his disciples. And in turn, we see the application for us as well by way of context Jesus has healed a paralyzed man in chapter 9. He has called Matthew to follow him out of his business and says, follow me, in verses 9 to 13 of chapter 9. He answers and addresses questions about fasting. He raises the dead. He heals the sick. He speaks a harsh reality about how the harvest of souls is so plentiful. The, The field is ripe to harvest. It is all set, but, he says, the laborers are few. He speaks as one who is not only in the know, but also has the power and the authority to do something about it. This is what's really exciting for me, and I hope this is really exciting for you as a church. You get to be a part of something that lasts to eternity. You get to be a part of seeing lives transformed. You get to be a part of seeing somebody come to know and taste a goodness and a love that defies human explanation. He wants to appoint you to represent him to the world. We get to be a part of that. We always sit there and say, oh, my purpose, my purpose. What am I here for? Yeah, well, I know what you're here for. You're here to know and love God. You're here to take that message of love to a world that doesn't know what love really is. That's what we're a part of. We are a part of something that will last for eternity. And we care to do this not on our might, not on our power, not on our message, but on one that is divine and an authority that transforms lives. Because honestly, you look at that healing of the paralyzed man in Luke chapter 9, and Jesus demonstrates his authority over sin. Why? Because what happens? What happens? He, they come in and he says, son, your, your sins are forgiven you. And all the religious leaders are like, hey, 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 only God can forgive sin. And so, so just to tell you that the Son of Man has authority over these things, he says, take up your bed and walk. What does he do? What? He takes up his bed and he walks. And all of them are like, we've never seen it done in this way before. Why? Because he demonstrated the authority he has over such things. When he calls Matthew, From his job, he's working away, he's doing his taxing, he's doing his stuff. Jesus says, follow me. He gets up and leaves everything. He leaves his booth. He leaves his career. Why? Because there was an authority over his purpose. There was an authority over his existence. When he's addressing these questions that speaks to the fasting, he he shows his authority over the spiritual and puts it in the right context for them. His raising of the dead and the healing over the sick states that he has authority over death itself. That death doesn't stand a hope against the Lord Jesus. 
and against life and sickness and illness. He identifies the harvest. He points out the need in that harvest. And he says that he is the authority by which and how that need can be met. And so here we come in verse 1 of chapter 10. And it's a great verse. You see the parallels between Moses' call and the disciples. What do we read? We read, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Like Moses, these disciples are called to or draw into him which is something that I want to stop here very quickly, and I want you to think about this. When he calls you, it is always to himself, never to something else, never to someone else. He doesn't call you to this church because I'm here. I'm nothing. I'm just a bald-headed Polynesian man yelling at you right now. I'm nothing. He calls you to, my job is to direct you to him. My job is to point you to Jesus. That's my job. He calls you to him, always. He doesn't call you to someone else. He doesn't call you to a specific church building. He calls you to someone, to to himself first. That's the whole point of the gospel. The whole point of the gospel is that salvation is found in Christ. He is the one who died for you. He is the one who rose again for you. He is the one that ascended to the right hand of the Father for you. He is the one that intercedes for you at his right hand even now. It is to him that you are to go. It is to him that you are drawn. It is to him you are called. And it is not anything new. All through the scriptures, we just looked at Moses Moses was drawn to a burning bush. Moses was drawn to God. Joshua, in Joshua 5, outside of Jericho, he is drawn to who? The the army of God, the the soldier of the Lord. He drew to God himself. Samuel in the temple, what does he hear? He hears God's voice. And what is great is Eli teaches him how to hear and respond to God's voice. When Samuel hears him in the temple in 1 Samuel 2, I mean, even in the New Testament, you read in the New Testament, the two on the road to Emmaus who were downtrodden and sad because the Savior had been, had been crucified. And they're walking and they're downtrodden. What happens? The Lord Jesus approaches them in Luke 24 and reveals himself to them in that moment. In Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, Paul is on the road straight heading to Damascus and he gets stopped in his tracks by Jesus himself, blinds him. And he's just like, whoa, and, he, and he's confronted as the Lord Jesus himself says, Paul, what are you doing? What are you doing? And confronts him there. It is to himself. Man, even Cornelius, I like that name, Cornelius. Even Cornelius, a Gentile who is praying, who is praying, and in that prayer, he gets revelation given to him as Peter is sent to him in Acts chapter 10 and explains the gospel and the reality of who Jesus is. Why? Because it is to Jesus we are told to go. It is to Jesus in whom we find our contentment. It is in Jesus where we discover our peace and our purpose. It is in Him and it is in Him alone. Matthew 4, 19, Jesus says to the disciples, what? Follow 
me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, he says. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 in the old King James, he says, imitate me, yes, as I imitate Christ. Follow me, as I follow Christ. Not saying that, Lord, will follow me. He says, the way I follow Christ and trust and independence and reliance upon him, so you do likewise. Follow him. So as Sunday school, as the solution may sound, the point of this is to have our priorities, to have our affections, have our attentions aimed at Jesus and upon him and upon the authority that he holds because we are told in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, that says, all authority, all, everyone say all, all authority, you don't have to say it again. I just, but can I thank you for just being involved? That was really encouraging. Thank you so much. But all authority of, of heaven and of earth belongs to him. It belongs to him. The ability to say yes and no is his. The ability to accept and deny is his. The, the ability to sit there and say, come alongside, or I reject is his. The ability to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord, or depart from me, I never knew you, is his and his alone. All judgment, we are told, is given to the Son. We are, because we are drawn to, to, uh, to be dependent on Jesus. We are, we are drawn to be reliant upon him and the salvation that he gives, because we are told in Acts chapter 4, Verse 12, that there is no other name, no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We are drawn to and dependent upon Jesus for our sanctification, for our holiness, for our setting apart. Because we are told in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. We are sanctified, we are set apart, we are, we are considered holy so that we might then in turn be obedient. See, this is what's really cool. Uh, Watchman Nee, who talks about how sanctification is more, about, is, more, is more than just abstaining from. We are told to abstain, yes. We are told not to partake of such things and sin, yes. But it's more than just abstaining from, because abstaining from is easy. It's rather than abstaining from and also consecrating too. It is going from one thing to another. I, I have been, I have, I, who, who's doing Lent with uh, John O'Barnett? Anyone else doing Lent? Yeah, got a few people, got a few people. Yeah, I've, my, my one's been, I've stopped fizzy drink and sweets. And you know I like my sweets. You know I like my sweets. And what's really fascinating is that if you just wanted to stop, if you just wanted to stop, what happens? You start to crave. You start to crave. And I'm sitting there, it was Isaiah's 21st birthday yesterday, and we had cake, and we had lollies, and we had chocolates, and things like that. And I'm sitting there, I'm just looking, and, I'm, and, and here's, here's the goodness of God, and the grace of God, and such, it was like, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't want that. I didn't want it. I didn't desire it. I didn't lie. I wasn't sitting there dreaming about it afterwards. I was just like, yeah, it's there. It's there. But the reason why I could say that is because I, I had replaced those things with things more substantial. Carrots. <laughs> Apples. Oranges. You may laugh, 
but I reap the benefits of that because now I'm magnificent. No, just kidding. Okay, so, but you know, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? So it is, so it is with this. We're sanctified. We are sanctified in order to be obedient to. So I, I stopped doing these things. Why? Because I want to be closer to Jesus. And this is just small steps. I, I don't watch those things. Why? Because I want to be closer to Jesus. I don't listen to certain things because I want to be closer to Jesus. I, I'm discovering the beauty of who Jesus Christ is that makes everything else fade in comparison because I want to be closer to Jesus who calls me to himself and then gives me. Okay, Because that's, that's what's really cool because that, that, that sanctification to obey and we're also dependent to, oh, the, sorry, drawn to and dependent upon Jesus for our security. We are in Jude 1.1 who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Everyone say kept. Kept. That's such a great word. You see, you do this in school. You do this in school. Says, that seat is saved. You can't sit there. Why? Because it's kept for someone else. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for that special girl, that special guy. You high school kids that do that, you shouldn't be having a girl or a guy. And I'll talk to you later. All right, so. All right. But here's what's really cool. That call to us, that drawing for us to him, like the disciples, like Moses, drawn to him is never wasteful and it is never pointless because I read in this verse that he gives to us what we need in order to do what he has called us to do. What do I read? We read that he gave, he, that he gave them authority to, in Matthew 10.1. So he calls his disciples to him so that he might give to them. Give to them authority or gave them authority to do. So what is given? It is given the very power, the very delegated influence from God himself to do what he has called you to do. See, it's not so you look good. He hasn't given you this authority so you can walk around and say, yeah, that's me. I have authority. No, 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 no. It's to do something particular. Like in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we're told that the Spirit of God comes down upon us, that we might receive power. It's to do what? To be His witness. We're empowered to be His witness. He gives us authority to do what he has called us to do. In this case, for the disciples, it was to heal every disease and to cast out demons, to do what he had called them to do. So it wasn't given so his disciples could feel good about themselves. It wasn't good, and good given so the disciples could boast about what they can do. It is gifted to his people so they might fulfill the calling that Jesus had called them to, to drive out. And you read this, to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness, to go among the Gentiles and enter any town of the Samaritans, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, to proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near, to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and drive out demons. In other words, in the name of Jesus and on the authority that he has given, they could do what they have been authorized to do. Or as Jesus puts this in verse 8, he says, freely you have received, freely give. What you have been given in the authority of Jesus, Jesus says, on that authority, you give to others also. You give to the others that love that people are looking for. You give to others that purpose that people are looking for. You give to others that peace that people are looking for. Why? Because those things are located in Jesus Christ. 
And then he says this, so, so why? why? Why does knowing Jesus' authority affect me in a, as a Christian? Or why should it affect me as a Christian in the 21st century? How should such knowledge affect me in my day-to-day life? We often forget this. We, we think, and I, 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 I don't want to harp on this. I harp on it all the time. But we often think that these things that God has told us in his word are reserved for like the great spiritual giants like Pastor John and, and Pastor Ben and Uncle Sun Ling and, and Julie and, and Chris and Jono. And, and we think it's all, because oh, I'm not a leader. I'm not a music person. I'm, I'm not this, that, and the other. In other words, we become a Moses. We become a Moses. Oh, I don't talk good. I don't talk good. But, but they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to me. Oh, but, you know, I've got a shiny head. You know, it's just, we, we, come up, we come up with all these things. We come up with all these things. And he says, but that's not the point. It's for the everyday, every man and every woman. It's, it's, for, it's for the accountants. It's for the school students. It's for, you, it's for you at home. It's for the mums. It's for the dads. For us to know this authority because of the power it has, not only in the lives of others around us, but in our own lives as well. And that's what I'm discovering. Because knowing Jesus' Jesus' authority means this, that we can live free in Christ. To live free, not free to do what you want. Not free to live how you want, but free to do what is right. Free to live in accordance with God's heart and God's mind. If you go to Romans chapter 6, and you know, you guys know these ones, okay? Let's go to Romans chapter 6. We're going to read a few different passages, and I'll try not to take up too much of your time, okay? <laughs> but you know that's not true. All right. All right. Romans chapter 6, from verses 16 to 18, we read this. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, verse 17, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have now come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. Remember what I said, how Moses was bound by his inadequacies, reasons that we use when we are faced with moments that are overwhelmingly difficult? But the, is, the issue isn't how much I can do. Instead, it's on how much he desires to do in my weakness. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. I mean, we know it. It talks about that. You know, I will glory in my weaknesses and my infirmities. Why? Because it's in my weakness that the power of Christ rests upon me okay I don't know why it's not changing anymore but okay I just thought I had the same slide go forever is there is that is that all there is oh hey sorry thank you there we go you can read that or take a photo of it okay so that's what knowing Jesus authority means we can live free in Christ knowing Jesus authority also means we can choose to live right in Christ. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Please turn there in your Bibles. Titus chapter 2. You know, I, I, I have to admit, I, I love the old paper Bibles for this reason. When you flip through your Bibles, you remember where the books of the Bible are. 
okay? Now, on your phone, you're just like, what? Scroll, three-tap, I'm there. But in your Bibles, you actually could look through it. So if you've got, your, if you've got a paper Bible, I know I'm an old man, I'm a boomer now, so you guys, I would encourage you, bring a paper Bible so we can flick through the Bible together. All right, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says this of Titus. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. Everybody say no. It teaches us to say that. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Knowing Jesus' authority means we can choose to live right in Christ. Again, the example of Moses who was called to a situation. And, and, who, and, and even though he didn't exceed in the skills and the resources and talents and gifts he had, he chose to obey the Lord's leading regardless, to trust in his provision, to trust in his authority and allow God to come through. You will never get to experience the fullness of what God wants you to experience if you never step out by faith. If you spend all your life living on a Sunday and doing, doing what you want from Monday to Saturday, you will never discover the greatness of his promises if you never put yourself in a position to trust those promises. You will never know the fullness of the abundance he wants if you can't train yourself to say no to ungodliness. You know why I could say no to the cakes and stuff last, last night? It's because by the grace of God, I started training my body physically. By the grace of God, he put in within me a desire to want something better, my oranges and my carrots and my celery, which celery is like lettuce, completely pointless. But anyway, okay. Thirdly, and then Titus 3.6, okay. Like I said, it wasn't about Moses doing what he wanted, but it was this newfound role, but rather doing what is right. And what was right was obeying what God had called him to. Okay. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 6. At one time, we were too foolish. We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. And lastly, knowing Jesus' authority means this we can rightfully be about his work. In John chapter 6, verse 29, it's a great verse when Jesus talks about doing the work of God and people ask him, what is the work of God? What is it? And we all look for that question, what is the work of God? And, and I'll do it. If that is the work of God, then I'll do it. You know what Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 29? He says, the work of God is that you believe in the one whom he has sent. In other words, you believe in Jesus Christ. If you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Deliverer, the Redeemer, the Protector of those that have, if you believe that, then does your life reflect that? As you submit to the authority He holds as King of Kings and as Lord of Lords. Because that's what it means there. We, through Jesus' sacrifice, have been brought into a right relationship with God the Father, who is rich in mercy and his great love wherewith he loved us. As his new creation in 2 Corinthians 5.17, as his child in John 1.12, and as his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, being about his work, believing in him, 
trusting in him, leaning in him, communing with him. The work of God is to believe on him who God has sent. That means holding to Jesus. That means cherishing Jesus. That means embracing and honoring and resting in Jesus to know and understand the authority Jesus has begins with the smallest of steps. It begins with the smallest of steps to know that he has such authority and that authority reigns in my life. That he is the one that I not only live for, but whom I live from. And that, that step becomes another step. Lord, I, I, I'm not the best of husbands, but I want to love my wife as you love the church. Please help me to do so. Then I'll stop watching my sport and I'll try to listen more to my wife. And it's another step. Lord, I, I get really frustrated with my kids. I, I, I don't know why they don't listen. I don't know. I just, I just want to crack them over the head. Just, I want to so much. But Lord, I know that's not the love that you have for them. Please help me to raise my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Please open my eyes to see. And then there's the next step. Lord, my neighbors are so irritating. I can't stand living next to Craig. It's just like, and then there's another step. And then another step. And in each of those steps, what happens? Jesus brings you more to himself as you discover the authority and the power that he has over your life and over you and over the choices you make. And then that in turn overflows into the lives and into the hearts of others. See, in doing that, I discover that my growth, my change, and my reliance on him just deepens. It just grows. And so I pray, I pray that knowing the authority of Jesus, we might with the rest of all creation at the name of Jesus, that every knee shall bow, including mine, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because that's what knowing the authority has. When you know what that authority is, when you know what that authority means, you can't remain the same. At least you shouldn't. And so I pray that you will respond as you discover the authority of God in your life. You will respond in a way that is not only obedient, but willingly surrendering to him and the change he wants to bring about in you for his glory and for the proclaiming of his love to those around you. That is what we get to be a part of. Let's pray and then uh, we'll stop there. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. Thank you that you hold all power in heaven and on earth, that you are before all things, you are above all things, and through you whom all things exist, and you have called us to yourself to be bearers of your image, to be bearers of your authority. And Father, that in your authority, in your name, we can go forth and proclaim your life-transforming message. I pray for each person here that you will stir each of our hearts to submit to your authority, to release those things that are not of you, that, that hinder us more than deepen our reliance on you. And Father, you will stir our hearts to, to not only recognize, but submit to what you are doing in each of our lives. So I pray, Father, that you will continue the work that you began in us and that you will bring it to completion. For we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And I pray that as we submit to that reality, 
you will bring glory to your name in our lives. Thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for what you're going to do, not only in GCC, but in each of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you very much for that, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much, everybody at home.